All right, everybody. Uh, thank you again for joining us today on this rainy Monday, at least here in Virginia Beach. I'm sure it's rainy throughout much of the state. Uh, I'd like to thank everyone who is watching and following along on Facebook Live. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I am Will Driscoll, the Executive Director of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, I really appreciate people joining us on these chats that we've had these last few weeks in an effort to really kind of keep content going. As I keep mentioning, and I'm going to continue saying it, while sports might be on a hiatus, there's still plenty of unique stories going on. There's still plenty of work being done, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes with our guests today. But one of the things we're going to focus on today, in fact, the main thing we're going to focus on today is a segment of the sports industry that is actually probably feeling the effects of COVID-19 more than any other segment, and that is the sports facilities industry. Uh, when we talk about sports facilities, it's not just the arenas and the stadiums that are sitting empty. It's the local field houses, the rec centers, outdoor fields, swimming centers, uh, and many other types of facilities like that. These facilities are used to engage the local community through leagues and events, uh, but then the sports tourism industry, which is just a massive financial component to sports as a whole. Uh, the man you see on your screen is Andy Ballard, the Vice President of Eastern Sports Management. Andy has 18 years of experience in the industry, touching on everything from operations and staff management to marketing, branding, and strategic planning, just to name a few of those responsibilities. Uh, Andy, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So under the ESM umbrella here in Virginia, we actually have the Virginia Beach Fieldhouse, the Fredericksburg Fieldhouse, the Jeff Rouse Swim and Sports Center. Jeff is actually an inductee of ours. Uh, and opening later this fall, uh, the Virginia Beach Sports Center, which will be a 285,000 square foot multi-sport facility. Uh, when you hear the term sports facilities industry, and Please correct me if I'm wrong, if that's not the correct term, but when you hear that, what does that mean to you? Define it for people who might be learning about it for the first time today. Um, so I think I use the term youth and amateur sports the most, uh, venue, youth and amateur sports venue the most. Um, but to me, it's it's a place of recreation. Uh, I think it everything from a field at a park um, to uh, – you know, a Virginia Beach Sports Center, which is, you know, not every community is going to have a gym like the Sports Center. So uh, it's it's places of recreation, um, everything from uh, your your YMCA's, your parks and rec facilities, all the way through through privately owned and city owned um, sports, you know, kind of indoor sports facilities as well. So it's all inclusive. I mean, you have to be because there's such a gamut. Of, of facilities out there. They're all unique, every market's unique. So um, I think you described it well. Again, everybody, this is on Facebook Live. So if you have a question for myself, for Andy, uh, please feel free to ask. We actually just have somebody who checked in watching from Germany. So Jim, thank you for, uh, for doing that so far away. Um, when I think about sports facilities, uh, I kind of touched on the two components already. Um, I think of the local leagues, you know, you got to facilitate that local community. But then we're also talking about sports tourism. And depending on the figures that you read or see, it's anywhere at a, a low of $15 billion to a max of $25 billion. How much do each of those segments play into what you guys do at Eastern Sports Management and your facilities? Uh, so a lot of times one doesn't live without the other. Um, it really depends on what the facility is built for. Um, the Virginia Beach Fieldhouse is built for local programming. It's designed to serve that market. Um, to where the Virginia Beach Sports Center is designed to serve events and it's built, um, you know, with with room nights and economic impact in mind. And so, um, you know, most of the time a facility that is is a local programming facility 
you're looking at 80% of what they do in that building is going to be uh, Monday through Saturday league play, um, local recreation. But then you'll have 20% where people are traveling from about an hour and a half to uh, about three hour drive for your tournaments and events. When you get into these uh, Virginia Beach Sports Center type facilities, um, those can be national, international, but their draw starts at four to six hours. Uh, and then what you do in order to, you don't build a Virginia Beach Sports Center in your backyard, um, you'd never be able to afford it. What you do is you try to offset the cost of an overbuilt facility for the local market um, through capturing as much tax revenue as you possibly can um, when people come into market and then providing services to the local market. Um, and the demand so high in the Virginia Beach area, um, hopefully we can do both. Now, the, the obvious impact right now is the fact that the doors are closed. You can't get people in, whether it's tourists, whether it's locals, you cannot get people into the doors currently. Outside of that, what are the other impacts you guys are facing right now? How are you adapting to this unprecedented and surreal time? Yes, there are two very different parts of that question. So the impact is construction world still moving along 100 miles an hour. So the Virginia Beach Sports Center is still on pace for a fall opening. Um, no hiccups. The design team and build team's done a great job there. Um, but we we're hiring staff in the middle of the pandemic to prepare to grow that business there. Obviously, all the events holders are also on freeze. And so um, they get nervous about what they're going to be able to do. And they're small businesses most of the time. Uh, so, you know, from when you're building a business, um, you're building the building and you're building a business. And so the building the business part is challenging. So uh, luckily, we really haven't run into a ton of hiccups on, on hiring staff, but it is challenging, right? I mean, people don't just uh, hear some of the issues, right? So I have a good job. Um, I'm getting paid. I'm working remotely. Am I going to, to take um, this new job? where things aren't certain and we don't know if they're gonna get back to events um, this year or in six months or eight months. So um, that can be a little bit difficult, but we just haven't run into it yet. You know, we we were ahead of the game and um, had good conversations ahead of time. Uh, you know, on the, on the flip side, what as the pandemic was starting, we saw a tremendous amount of demand. Um, People wanted into our facilities and, and the tough part is uh, when I, so I, we were talking about, it was, the number was a hundred. We had to be under a hundred people. And we had a program that I guess just because people were starting to, to not go to work just exploded with, with participants, um, spectators. Um, and so the, we knew the participant numbers. We didn't realize the spectators were gonna go from 1.5 to like three overnight. And so we were talking about what are we going to do with this program? We might have to shut that down. And while we were planning on that, it went to 50. And then we were like, well, I guess none of that matters. And then it went to 10. And it's like, we can't, we can't do anything with 10. So, um, you know, from that perspective, from an operating perspective, there, until you're open, you're not open. Um, there's nothing, there's, there's nothing we can really do with 10 people that's gonna justify opening a 285,000 square foot building or even an 85,000 square foot building. 
when you say you, you use the term events holders, um, obviously these events that come to the field houses or potentially the sports center in the future, they're at those venues, but just define what an events holder is and how you're communicating with them to potentially reschedule or kind of just keep them engaged while we all kind of navigate this unprecedented, uh, these unprecedented waters. Right. It's, it's the person that owns and operates the event. Um, in many cases, uh, we are the events holder. Um, but if you uh, run a, a basketball tournament and you're excited about the 12 basketball courts um, that we're going to have on one side and potentially the 18 total in Virginia Beach Sports Center, and you're, you're thinking you would like to come in and run that event at our facility, um, then you own the rights to that. You can move it from another location at any time. Um, and you can decide you want to, um, you know, whether what quality of refs you're going to have. So from a, from when you hear us say rights holder, that's the person in control of the event. Gotcha. Um, so when we do get back up and running, the schedule is going to be condensed because we've already seen it with some of the events that we're trying that we had scheduled for this year through the summer the fall seems to be where everybody's kind of looking in a hopeful manner as to we might be able to get back on the calendar. You know, how are you using your venues? How are you using your resource to communicate with everybody and, and try to kind of get ahead of this so that you can reschedule these events? Or are a lot of them just saying, listen, we're going to look to next year if they're an annual event or if they're not an annual event, are they just saying we're scrapping plans for it? Well, you know, look, most of these facilities, um, are owned and operated by small businesses. They have huge overhead, low margins. Um, they're doing everything they can to survive right now. Uh, events holders are very similar in that, uh, in that they offload a lot of cash in order to put deposits in and things like that. And so I'm sure that especially the smaller the rights holder, the, the faster they're gonna wanna get up and running. Just because we open and they wanna be there doesn't mean people are coming. Yeah. Um, and so uh, the great thing about the team that we have, um, the CVBs, we were honored to be able to work with two of the best CVBs in the country. Um, and a lot of the, the communities that we work in have great support in their tourism, their economic impact. Um, uh, you know, whether it's a commission or whether it's the, the Visitors Bureau, we've got some strong teams there. But I think um, you've got to have those relationships and, you know, everybody that knows me knows that when, when I build a relationship with you, you got my cell phone number, we're talking mm -hmm. um, and you have to learn how to prioritize those things. And for us, we think about people first. So, you know, we've got our community, we have a responsibility to the city of Virginia beach. We have a responsibility to our staff and that's what we think about first. What's the best for that community? What's the best for our people? You kind of touched. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, you kind of touched upon it, but it's not as simple when the when it everything does get started again. It's not as simple as we go back to where we were. You know, yeah. sports was one of the first things. Sports was kind of the the industry that shut it all down. Like once the NBA and the NCAA shut it down, every it was a trickle down effect. But once we get back to it, it doesn't mean you can open up to twenty thousand people again. You've, I'm sure you've heard about how the NHL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball are trying to figure out creative ways to finish their seasons. You want to get these events back into your facilities. You might not be able to bring in as many people as possible. What are some of the creative ideas that have been thrown around to, to get these things going again? Um, 
creative that you can idea. say. I don't. I don't want to get you in trouble. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think. Um, I think you get in trouble when you get too creative when you're talking about those sorts of things. That I think the reality of it is, is that if you're bringing seven thousand people into a market, everybody's got to be comfortable with doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no way for me and you to play one-on-one basketball and we not come in contact. Um, and so understanding what that means in preventing and protecting before we play, after we play, how you navigate the building, we can all understand that, right? I can put, I can put a thousand hand sanitizer um, containers around the building, but that doesn't mean that me and you aren't going to be side by side for an hour. Uh, so I think being comfortable with participating um, is, is a big part of it, but make no mistake, like people want to play, you know, I, I went, um, to the, uh, went to a lake yesterday, packed golf course that was open in our community, packed people want to recreate. And I come from a, a, a very humble background and my mom, you know, worked two jobs and put my stuff on a credit card. Cause that's how valuable it was to her that I could chase my dreams and, and stay out of trouble and, and healthy distractions and all the things that Eastern sports management just committed to the values of sport and what that provides to the community. So I think a big piece of it is just kind of going, okay, you know, we're, when is the right time to open to begin with the demand on that space is, is ridiculous. You know, we're supposed to open in the fall and it's down to the day and half day well, can we have the morning of the day that you open to run our event? That's going to be decided by um, what's right for the people first, the community. But those partnerships that we have, if we can do anything to help a partner, we're going to, um, as long as it's the right thing for the community and the people. And then there's going to be a list of other people on the backside um, that, you know, we hope we're problem solvers by nature. When you're a programmer and you manage these big facilities, you have to be. You know, you, you kind of just touched upon it uh, regarding the size and scope of the youth sports industry. Um, I've heard the term recession proof in the past. And now I don't know if that's necessarily true, but how do you see that kind of sports tournament industry and that tourism industry being affected by this? Uh, a big part of, like you said, Eastern sports management is making sure that people have access to sports. How do you maintain that moving forward when people are going to be financially impacted and getting their kids to play sports is going to be probably something that's affected by that yeah it's a great question I think my personal opinion is that um what you're going to see is so we always talk about the radiuses that people travel um you know I think I think you're going to see a decline in in how much people want to get on an airplane um I don't think that you're going to see a a decline in how much in in how many people want to get in a car and drive to a location so I think it's going to regionalize I think you're going to see a decline in the national participation, but you're probably going to see an incline in the regional participation. Um, from, you know, from when you're, when you start to get into, uh, are people going to participate or not? I don't think there's any question they're going to participate. It's, it's, it is a vital part of the people's lives that participate. And, uh, what we need to do is we need to listen to, the key stakeholders on when is it safe? Um, We'll do everything in our facilities to ensure um, that the facility is as safe as possible. We're gonna do that no matter what. And, um, you know, but our team talks about, you know, when can we open? um, And 
the those decisions are easy. We're not opening until they say it's safe to open because we like what you saw. The NBA understands that they are so influential to so many people that them not being ahead of the curve can have dramatic impact. And we're very similar, um, just on a smaller scale. We have we impact so many people. We have a million people that come through the Virginia Beach Fieldhouse every year. We're going to have every bit of 2 million go through the Virginia Beach Sports Center. Um, and you're talking about, you know, roughly 750,000 um, individual, you know, individual people um, versus a door swing of, you know, 3 million. You got 750,000 people that could be in, um, influenced by whatever we decide to do. And so we have to make sure that that's the right decision. And I don't get to talk to the president and, and to the governor regularly about what's right. I, I'm trusting they're getting better data than I am. We hope so. Yeah. <laughs> that's the data that we're going off of. Uh, right. We kind of talk about that reintegration back into, I don't want to say society, but reintegrating sports and the tourism and the tournaments back into society. You know, these are going to be featuring kids and families who have not been playing have probably not been maintaining the same training and, and practice methods. You know, what, where, do, where does ESM and their facilities and their resources come into play and in potentially helping kind of get people back on track and back up to the levels where they were? Yeah, um, you know, ESM is really about helping the facility side, right? If, if, if a facility's struggling and, I, you know, I've got a network of about 100, 150 facilities and I get them calling me a, about um, the loan processes, the banks, you know, what's the right thing to do. From an athlete's perspective, um, you know, I just think, it, I think it's a great question. You know, I, I don't think there's ever a time when you, uh, ever a time that's too early to start perfecting your craft and learning how to be a better professional. Um, I think those traits, I think you learn it from sports because you learn to practice hard and you learn to push yourself um, but I think athletes that can, um, learn how to prepare and plan, um, create a rigid schedule where you have two or three times a day that you're working out and you can, you can have, you know, your, your cardio workout, your skills workout, your, uh, game plan type workout, but having two or three times a day that you work out, um, scheduling those, uh, you know, so creating the, you create a rigid schedule. Um, you schedule your workout in advance. So you don't just show up to that time you have on a piece of paper and go, well, I'm going to do some jumping jacks today. Like you got to plan out. This is what I do in the morning. It's cardio. I'm going to do interval training today. Yesterday was, um, you know, I was going to work on endurance. So you have those done. You learn to prepare. Um, I always, you'll hear me, um, say a lot of times, uh, beat the plan. Whatever. If you were planning on doing, you know, 30 minutes of, of interval training, do 32 minutes, um, get used to be, being above the expectation, uh, polish your craft. Um, I think a lot of times getting in on the driveway and working on dribbling drills and, um, and the little things, the nuances that you don't get to, to see and watching people that do that specific thing better than anybody. Um, I've learned in my life, I've learned so much just by watching great um, shooters in basketball, watching technique, for cornerbacks and things like that. Um, you know, I, I think studying, if, you know, it's real easy to turn on, um, you know, the TV and, and watch whatever's trending, but the people that are professionals, the people that you hear 
the Kobe Bryants of the world, the Michael Jordans of the world, the Steph Curry's of the world. Those guys are, are digging in and watching film all the time. Tom Brady, you know, those guys are, um, they're addicted to, to watching the film. And I think you learn so much about the history. Uh, you learn about these great players or so many of them. Um, in the Hall of Fame in Virginia that you can just go through and kind of go, man, you know, how did this guy get from this community and develop those skills? Well, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't watching TV all day. He was, he was out there doing it. You know, in, uh, in the, the, I think the thing that's trending most right now is the Michael Jordan and the, the last Dance Bulls documentary. And there was a great uh, clip from Roy Williams, the coach of UNC last night, where he said he had a conversation with a freshman, Michael Jordan. And he, Michael said to him, I want to be the best basketball player in the world. And Coach Williams said, well, you need to work harder. And he said, well, I worked harder than everybody in high school. And Roy Williams said to him, I thought I just heard you say you wanted to be the best basketball player in the world. Basically yeah. kind of putting it back on him. And to, to the point that you just said, going above the expectation. And in your line of work, speaking of above the expectation, I do kind of want to talk about the Virginia Beach Sports Center. I know that there's probably going to be uh, a lot of people who will watch this video uh, who have kids who play sports, who might be coaches, who might you know run sports leagues and, and operations, and kind of talk about the capabilities of this building. You said the construction is still on point. I know that Nancy Hellman, her team at the CVB here in Virginia Beach and sports marketing has done a wonderful job over the last two years of putting together this really unique facility that isn't just basketball. You can't just put down wrestling mats and bring in a wrestling tournament. This is a multi-sport indoor facility. Kind of talk about what this does to your profile at Eastern Sports Management. Uh, you know, um, it, it's the LeBron James, you know, <laughs> of the portfolio. That's, that's the way it is. It's, um, it's a best-in-class facility. Um, you're talking 5,000 seats. There's no independent um, hydraulically banked track um, that's NCAA sanctioned that that's got 5,000 seats you know there's a really great ones and um, I'm sure that there'll be imitators um, at some point but we're going to be the first on the market and uh, um, 18 basketball courts at full capacity um, 12 on one side um, two to one ratio with volleyball you're talking about um, putting 60 plus wrestling mats in that in in a facility like that um, it's, and it's beautiful, you know, it, it's, it's not going to be, um, it's not gonna be a, a, an eyesore, it's, it's in proximity to the things that make Virginia Beach special. Uh, you know, somebody that grew up in that community, understanding the diversity, the culture, um, everything from the music to the art, it's gonna be all exposed and kind of bring this, um, you know, I don't think anybody, uh, is debating on the demand around Labor Day and Memorial Day down in Virginia Beach. But you're talking about bringing demand into that community in February. Um, and so it's gonna, it's gonna dramatically impact uh, the economy and the tax revenue coming in in that off season. And uh, you're talking tens of millions of dollars of economic impact. So Nancy's team, they're, they're a machine, you know, um, all the track stuff sold out. Um, you know, I, I felt like they had um, all those uh, events tied to a tree somewhere, um, waiting on the, the building to be built. And um, they've done a great job. So, you know, with to whom much is given, much is expected, right? 
Um, so we get this, this beautiful gem to be able to operate. And then, you know, we've got a responsibility to try to get this thing um, cash flowing pand um, pandemic or not. Mm -hmm. And so um, we take that really serious. As we get into this, this point where we're rescheduling things and the schedule is continuing to be fluid. You mentioned that a lot of the days at the sports center are already, you know, reserved, taken up, but if there is this, you know, universal reshuffling, how much does having a venue like the sports center that can facilitate multiple events at once, the size and scope of it kind of help you guys in approaching other events and saying, Hey, we might be your solution. You might not have thought about us before, but you might need to think about us now. Well, everybody's thinking of the sports center. You know, um, I'm, we're fighting those people off um, with a stick. That, um, but what having the network um, allows us to put the right people in the right spot. Um, you know, if if somebody wants, um, a, a, everybody wants a big event, but not everybody can afford a big event, and it's not always wise for them to try to afford a big venue like that. Um, and so, growth progression is really important. Um, and you want longevity. You want somebody that's going to come every season um, and have that draw and 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 have something that's that's um, prestigious. Uh, you know, there's there's so many people out there that would love to utilize our facility as leverage to grow something um, new and to get on the map. Um, but uh, you know, there's a there's a, a certain responsibility you have to to not be everybody's savior um, when it comes to lending out a big facility like that. A lot of the people that we partner with are, are tried and true event operators that already have done really special things on their own. And they're looking for a place to have a, a best of class event um, for the best athletes in, in the nation. And so we have to, we have to, to take that into consideration. And then when we have open inventory, that's, it's like when, when the star first baseman goes down, um, somebody's getting an opportunity. And so, um, you know, that's the way we look at it. You know, there's going to be open, there's going to be holes in every calendar. Um, very rarely is, is a calendar filled to a hundred percent. Um, and in these facilities, especially not during the day. Uh, so, um, I think the, the most important thing is, is, to build the relationships, to find out who are the people that you can rely on. They're going to be there year in and year out that are going to um, meet the goal of, of the facility. And so we try to make sure that as, as that demand comes in, that we do the right thing over the easy thing and put the, the right person in the right place. Me bringing in a, an event that, um, that fails is bad for everyone. Um, so we want to make sure we're strategic in how we walk that way. Well, if you're a, if you're an athlete, if you're the parent of an athlete, a coach, an administrator, I really encourage you to go to easternsportsmanagement.com and and really read up on the the sports center that's targeted to open up later this fall, um, and and of course the other facilities that ESM has. I do want to get you out of here on this. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your nonprofit Play On at Eastern Sports Management. Uh, it's an initiative that focuses on access to sport. Um, participation numbers overall have been in decline for about the past decade. And a big factor in that has been uh, the cost of participation, particularly with specialized leagues and organizations. PlayOn's mission is to provide access to sport. How important is an initiative like that, particularly as we get past COVID-19? We may have touched upon it earlier, but I want to talk about this specific to the PlayOn initiative. 
it's vital. Uh, um, these facilities are expensive. Um, we built one 15 years ago it was $60 a square foot. Um, and the, at times they're being quoted four times that. And the price for that league of that same facility is the same as the one now. And, um, you know, I'm, I come from a single parent household um, where, you know, you, my mom's not there all the time. And I learned all the values that really kept me out of trouble from sport. And so if she didn't find a way or there wasn't programs like Play On out there to be able to help support people getting into these programs, transitioning military um, back into civilian life, um, you know, there's a huge drop off in, in women's sports right after college. That's something that we're passionate about, like keeping women active and, um, and finding ways, uh, you know, to to engage families and keep family units being active as a, as a lifestyle of, a, of the family unit. So um, for us, it, it's, it's the reason that you do this business. You know, it's, it's the passion work. We understand the values, the, you know, not only the, the obvious values, but it, the studies show that you're less likely to smoke. You're more likely to earn more money. You're more likely to go to college. Like all the, these values that come from participating in sport, we, we live these things. Our people sacrifice on a daily basis to make sure um, that people have access. All of our goals are built around that. Uh, we, we're trying to get 10 million door swings in the next three years. It's about getting people active. Um, that's 3 million individuals. So for us, um, play on is, is the passion work. That's, that's really what it's all about. And we've been, been honored to have the tools um, to go out and, uh, and really take that passion to the people. And it takes a lot, it takes organizations like yourself that really give back to the community. And we partner with a ton of businesses, both sponsorship um, and donations, just to, to try to provide access to these facilities, um, whether clubs or, or recreation, doesn't matter to us equipment to high schools, um, a kid that needs cleats. Um, we've got no, uh, no limitations to how we'll help. As long as they're being active, um, we want to be supportive. I think that that's a great point. I mean, obviously you and I are both biased. We love sports. It's been a big part of our lives and it's what we do. But I think a lot of times people look at sports as just an extracurricular activity. And what they fail to see is that particularly when you're in school, Sports is basically cake. The cake. The cake is showing the school an average that allows you to do that. Sports is the extra part of that. It's not just something that you're out there doing as you can. And I think a, an initiative like Play On and what you guys do at ESM is is uh, is wonderful. So uh, on that, I'll kind of get you out of here, Andy. It's been a pleasure catching up with you. Uh, hopefully the next time we talk, we're actually talking about some of the events going on at your venues. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Well, I appreciate the time. Absolutely. Again, if you're watching, listening, or you will watch in the future, go to easternsportsmanagement.com and learn much more about ESM and their venues. I'd like to thank everyone who checked in today. As always, I'd like to thank our partners, Priority Automotive, City of Virginia Beach, Optima Health, and ESPN Radio. Check out all of our social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, all handles at VA Sports HOF. Uh, once again, I am Will Driscoll with the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, hoping everyone stays safe, stays healthy. Thank you for watching.